Adding wholesale as a channel to your store is a great way to increase revenue. But how do you offer customer-specific pricing in Shopify? Well, there's a bold app for that. It's called Customer Pricing, and it's great for wholesale, of course. But it's also cool to add things like a VIP program where you reward your best customers. It's so easy to use. To put a customer in a price group, you tag their customer account. That's it. Or if you want to get fancy, the app could do it automatically for you, tagging customers into groups based off how much they've spent, how often they've ordered, where they're from, or what products they purchased. For example, let's say a customer spends $500. We could automatically tag them as silver and they get 5% off. Then when they've spent a thousand or more, they get tagged gold and now they get 10% off. And with the tagging by product purchase feature, you could actually sell a membership product and then give members a discount, not unlike a Costco or a Sam's Club. Now, as an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, Bold is offering you their customer pricing app free for two months. Just go to kurtelster.com bold and you can install it from there to get the exclusive offer. kurtelster.com bold. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores, like Hoonigan and Yvonne Stells, to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. One of the hardest things about e-commerce is cash flow. Because you've got this strange machine that requires inventory. Inventory takes cash. And then I got to sell the inventory to get the cash to buy more inventory. It is this terrible carousel of, uh, of just burning through cash. So what's the solution? How do you handle it? I know this is one of the, the big pains that people discover as they, they get on their e-commerce journey. And I think one of the, the solutions to it uh, that really helps get the ball rolling to get your, your water wheel of, of cash flow and inventory moving is pre-orders. And joining me today is a, a fabulous guest who also hosts her own podcast, but more importantly, has been running a Shopify store for uh, close to five years now. And in it, they rely on a lot of pre-orders. So my guest today is Sarah Resnick from Just Yarn. Just Yarn, if you are into knitting, Just Yarn is a big deal. It is. I swear it is. Weaving. Weaving? <laughs> oh! Sorry. It's just our our customers will be very confused if you call it knitting. No! Oh! See, you, uh, immediately I've revealed myself as knowing nothing about this. <laughs> like, I just jumped to an assumption. All right, so I butchered that. But we're, we're talking to someone who has a Shopify store, is very bright, could string a sentence together, and is going to tell us how to handle pre-orders, along with a few other things. So Sarah Resnick from Just Yarn, welcome. Thank you. And yes, so we, we are a weaving yarn store. We've been open since June of 2017, and we make yarn um, primarily for weavers, people who weave on floor looms and rigid heddle looms and tapestry looms. That's what we do. 
Oh, well, I did not mean to offend the weaving community. You didn't offend us. Don't worry. Okay, good. <laughs> Woo! Do you get that a lot? People are like, oh, you like to knit? Uh, you yeah, you know, it's adjacent. I also am a knitter. Many of many of our customers oh, are okay. also knitters. But um, the kind of yarn, what our, our specific niche is, is making yarn for weavers. Do the weavers and the knitters look down on each other? Um, I don't think like, so. Like who in the hierarchy... <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, I think weaving requires some more equipment, so it can be a little bit more um, daunting to get started. You need to have a loom. You need to learn how to warp it, which means how to put the yarn onto the loom. So um, I think people can be nervous about starting that from an adjacent thing like knitting or crochet. But we get many customers all the time who are moving over from knitting into weaving, and we're excited to welcome them. And you started this business in, in 2017. Why? How did that happen? Because it's, it's like it's such a, a crazy thing to jump into starting a business. Yeah. So I had been a weaver for about 10 years um, as a hobbyist and just totally loved that. I started my career as a community organizer and a union organizer, and I moved into small business um, running a sewing factory in Fall River, Massachusetts, helping to get that off the ground. And I learned a lot about U.S. manufacturing at that point and about thinking about how to make good jobs in the US. And I wanted to make a pivot and start my own business, but I wanted to be working with US manufacturers and helping bring like the beautiful quality fibers and yarns that we have directly to hobbyist weavers in this country. So I started thinking about where to source some yarns from and reaching out to mills and dye houses and farmers. And that's how we got started in June of 2017. And we've been kind of growing and adding on new customers and building our community ever since. Okay. And so what's step one there? Well, you said you reached out to them. What did you ask? <laughs> so what we started out doing was um, reselling yarn. So we would buy yarn that other companies were wholesaling, and then we would retail it to our customers. So what I would ask is, do you have yarn that's good for weavers? Can I try it out? Can I sample it? Can we sell it to people? You know, for some folks, uh, there was a learning curve to get used to us selling online as opposed to brick and mortar. So we had to get the mills and people we were working with comfortable with that. Um, other people were already used to that. But that uh, on the vendor side, I, we've been really lucky to work with just some super high quality mills. And many of the people I originally started working with were still stocking their yarn today. And in 2017, you said, well, we had to, you essentially had to drag some of these people into selling online. They're like, what is this strange thing? Please, can you just fax us your purchase order instead? <laughs> and... Do you think that's still the case of 2021, post-pandemic? Like, did that force everybody online? I mean, I think our customers, for the most part, are pretty comfortable shopping online. I think there's there's a concern about um, cutting out little yarn stores, which is definitely not something that we want to do or do. So there's wanting to keep brick and mortar retail shops supported at the same time and making sure that online stores aren't going to just discount your products and, and sell it cheaply. But once we really were able to help um, vendors and mills understand that we were adding value and creating patterns and building community around their yarn, people were excited to work with us. And we um, now we mostly focus on creating our own lines of yarn. So we, we contract with textile mills, design yarn and colors and, and 
um, get those dyed and spun to our specifications. And that yarn we sell wholesale to brick and mortar yarn shops and retail. So we really do see ourselves as a part of the the bigger ecosystem of how people are selling and buying yarn in the U.S. I was going to say, wow, that went full circle. Where yes. you know, part of their hesitancy was, hey, you're going to undercut us. Hey, this is going to damage um, the community as a whole. And you were able to prove to them that not only was that not the case, but then you turn around and said, all right, let's add more value. And then you started manufacturing your own stuff and selling it wholesale back to these folks. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's really a big part of what my goal has been all along as being part of, of building up the community of fiber artists and weavers here. So. I'm hearing uh, there's a keyword, a running theme here, and it's community. Hmm. Talk to me about why why that's important and how you think about community. Well, I think that word can mean a lot of different things in different contexts, but the way that I think about it in terms of our business is... Um, building a, a supportive group of people that are excited to be creating with materials that they're feeling proud to use and that they can share with each other. So a lot of times crafters and hobbyists, especially in this past year and a half during the pandemic, are at home doing their craft by themselves. Um, you know, weaving can be a pretty solitary thing. And building, be, being part of making it possible for people to communicate with each other and share ideas and share what they're what they're learning how to do and what they're excited about. That's something we've always wanted to do. That's why we host a podcast. That's why we publish and share a lot of patterns on our platforms. Um, yeah, that's, that's. Tell me about, um, tell me about the podcast is as far as co content marketing goes, the podcast has been fantastic for me. I'm a big proponent of podcasting. How has your podcasting experience gone as you know as it relates to an e-commerce business? Yeah, so we started pretty early on in the life of our business. I think it was within about a year and it has been it was a really wonderful time. It started out with me hosting the podcast and I was able to connect with a lot of leaders in our industry and build relationships with them, learn people's stories and share them and again just help people feel connected to other weavers in um, that they hadn't known about. And then uh, pretty soon after starting the podcast, I hired um, an amazing person named LaShawn Moore, and she has been hosting and producing the podcast ever since. And she's really brought it to new levels, um, bringing in conversations from farmers, bringing in conversations about the history of textile manufacturing and textile growing in the U.S., talking a lot about um, race, talking about community, the, the many different things that interact with textiles. And so she's really been able to bring so much depth to that podcast with the guests that she brings on and the questions she asks. And so we're proud of, of getting to give that to the weaving community. That's super cool. Yeah. And this has been, uh, I assume it's been a, a directly beneficial thing for your business as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's less easy to quantify than digital right. advertising where you can kind of very exactly hard to get attribution the in a podcast because <laughs> there's no links like the person hears it and then they go google it it's so hard to track right. but what we do know is we have lots of customers writing into us mentioning about the episode that they recently listened to um so we know that people are we can see download histories obviously we know people are listening um and we know that it it kind of builds up with that and um yeah, and it's also really helpful in the in the relationships that we've been able to build with the guests that we've had on. Um, we've gone on to form 
collaborations with a number of them that have been really successful for both of our for our business and theirs so yeah it's such a good way to have a mutually beneficial conversation like if i want to talk to someone it's a really easy value add to be able to say hey you know i i don't just want to pick your brain i want to do it in a way where we're going to share this and you're going to get backlinks and publicity like it's just such it, it's a it's a, a very positive trojan horse yeah. That's what I love about it. Yeah. Um, but okay, I promised people 10 minutes ago that we were going to talk <laughs> about pre-orders. When did you do your first pre-order? So we did our first pre-order in um, October of 2019. So I think that was about a year and a half after we started our business. And what we were um, moving, wanting to move towards was making our first line of yarn ourselves. Um, so I think I mentioned at the beginning, up until then, we had been buying lines of yarn that other companies designed, um, you know, buying them at wholesale prices, selling them at traditional markups and retail prices. And we, I had ideas for yarn that I thought weavers would be able to use and colors that I wanted to introduce into the market. And also um, one of the things I had noticed was that there were a number of brick and mortar shops that had been reaching out to us and asking if we could wholesale weaving yarn to them. They wanted to get into weaving yarn, but I could not wholesale yarn to them that I had bought at wholesale prices because they're that just doesn't work. <laughs> um, so there was there were a number of different reasons that I wanted to start this, and I I wanted us to be um, building relationships with mills in the U.S. to 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 bring more weaving yarn. But, um, you know, the minimum order quantity for something like that is a couple thousand pounds of yarn. You need to do at least a couple hundred pounds of each color. And up until then, I had been buying, you know, maybe 150, 200 pounds of yarn at a time. So it was a lot more quantity and because of that, a much higher capital outlay. So I um, could have put it on a credit card <laughs> or asked a bank for a loan I think at that point I would not have received one but what I just or tried to find an investor um, but we didn't have enough cash to be able to in a healthy way put down such a big deposit and not risk the rest of our business so I decided to go to our customers and tell them what we wanted to make and see if they wanted to be part of making it happen and um it started, I think, like six months before we even launched the pre-order of sharing the yarn development as it was coming along, sharing photos of things that I was weaving with it, sharing about where we were making it and why, and asking people if they were going to join in and support it. Um, and I didn't know if they would. They said yes, but you never really know until you get the money. <laughs> um, but we launched for pre-orders and I was blown away, like far beyond what I hoped it would be when when I launched it for the first time, I told myself, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just refund everyone's money and we will not move forward with this with this purchase order. Um, but we didn't have to do that. We were able to raise enough money to fully fund the first manufacturing run of the yarn. And that um, essentially meant that we had enough uh, had enough cash outlay to make a big, huge step in the growth of our business and the growth of our inventory. Um, Tell me about how the, yeah. what is the setup of the pre-order? Because a pre-order could just be like a product page that says, hey, order now and it'll ship. You know, we expect it to ship on this date. Or, you know, it could be as simple as like, hey, this is back ordered, order it when it comes back. Like that's, 
a very loose pre-order is really like the very first back order is right. essentially a pre-order. Right. Um, but sometimes you'll say like, hey, it's got to hit. I think that's a little different than, hey, it has to hit this goal. Like we need to hit this minimum. And if we don't hit it, look, we're going to refund you. Um, and and then also like one step further from that would be like Kickstarter style where we include, you know, it's got to be by this date and we have a progress bar and, and all that stuff. Uh, how did you set yours up? So we did it just on Shopify. We didn't have any apps. Um, it was a product page. It was very clearly billed as a pre-order. And um, part of that is so important because obviously you don't want somebody ordering something that they think they're going to get right away. But also, I, I really think, I mean, people people pre-ordered because they were excited to get the yarn, but they also pre-ordered because we have the most amazing customers and they just wanted to support us and help us get something off the ground. And we explained how this was, you know, turning to our customers for them to invest in us instead of turning into turning to a bank um, or someone else that would invest in us that maybe didn't share our values. Our customers were able to live out their values and help us live out our values by investing directly in our company. So the pre-order was was not hidden. It was a very obvious thing. Um, you know, people could order it was either $75 worth of yarn or $150 or $250 worth of yarn. They were told they were going to get to choose the colors later. Um, but they saw a sample of what some of the colors might be and they showed up and supported us. And it still surprises me to this day. And I still am so grateful to those, each and every one of those people that really took a risk on us. You know, they had no idea if we were going to really be able to make it happen. And we know a lot more about producing yarn now, but we didn't know all that much then. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what it worked. We, we pre, we sold that first one in, October and we delivered the yarn in June of the following year. So, and all throughout that process, we, we kept people updated on the steps of how the yarn was coming along. Uh, did, well, how many pre-orders have you run since then? Good question. So we have since launched two other lines of yarn and then we also will sometimes do pre-orders. So we did pre-orders for both of those and we will sometimes do pre-orders for new color launches. And we have two new pre-orders coming up this summer and this fall for two new lines of yarn. So the the most, in terms of like a financial cash flow perspective, the hardest points for our business are to add a whole new product line because we have to fund it all in advance um, while continuing to have the same capital outlay for all the other stuff that we're doing to grow our inventory. So. By using pre-orders just with new product launches, and so far we've been able to successfully fund the manufacturing runs every time we do that for a new product line, it just, it bumps us up to be able to get where we need to go. And then of course, every time we need to restock, that's not a pre-order, we just have to make that work. But because the first time we had support from our customers, it's worked out. Excuse me, do you know where 4th Street is? Yeah, up here, make right, or uh, no, make left. No, no, make a right. Man, this person doesn't know what she's talking about. But you know who does know what they're talking about? Zipify Pages, the most powerful landing page and sales funnel builder on Shopify. All their templates are tested and proven by a $100 million e-commerce brand. So you know their stuff actually works. Finally, someone who knows what they're talking about. You can copy entire templates like opt-in pages, product pages, or holiday promos. Or use the drag and drop builder to create your own custom layouts. 
then publish your pages directly onto your Shopify store. That means no plugins and no subdomains. So setup is easy and tracking is even easier. And you don't need a designer or developer. Plus all pages are optimized for mobile and built-in split testing helps you maximize your results. It's no wonder Zipify Pages is used by over 5,700 Shopify merchants. To start your 14-day free trial, go to zipify.com slash kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. So it sounds like the, the magic here is your authenticity you you were totally transparent with them you said hey here's what we're doing here's why we're doing it and here's why we're asking for your help and you communicated communicated that clearly and did it in a, in a, a place where people were, were used to this from you they knew like you were willing to share your story and invest in your community and so it was well received and then you made it very clear like this is a pre-order it sold um uh, was successful and what did you you talked about like well what if you know we can't run it we might have to do refunds did you run into any customer service issues where like people were you know w- would pre-order it and then three days later you get that email that's like hey where's my stuff we did not get any emails three days later we did um miss the the date which we said we would deliver by because as I said we didn't know all that much about yarn production and <laughs> we're learning along the way and I think what, um, and so we had a few people who asked to refund, like probably less than five um, over the course of, of the whole pre-order that asked for a refund or asked to just use it as a store credit for something else. But for the most part, people were really happy to wait. And I think a big part of that is who our customer base is, which is people that are really excited about yarn and excited about supporting a woman-owned business and a business that's making yarn in ways that they're excited about um and part of that is just how transparent we were we were emailing people every month saying you know today this month the yarn is getting twisted now it's getting dyed now it's getting wound we're we're running into some issues because the company that's doing this step of it you know is having these delays like we were we were very transparent along the process so nobody felt like we were you know stealing their money and running away with it um yeah and then you know if there's a few people that end up not it doesn't work out just we refund them and that's fine i think the the critical thing here uh is communication Mm -hmm. this open and honest communication is the cornerstone of great relationships Mm -hmm. and that's true of whether it's you know with your partner or these one-to-many relationships where it's you a newsletter and thousands of customers and because you were were communicating on a, a regular cadence with them and saying, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing. It really has absolutely paid off for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely true. And then quality, obviously. Like if we had delivered a bad right. product the first time, this would never have happened again. Um, but people have come to trust us. And I think that's why we're able to continue to use this pre-order model because they know we make really good stuff. <laughs> now, it sounds like internally you had a goal. You said you knew we had to hit this amount to sell it. That was not necessarily public facing, was it? No, I mean, what I was hoping to do was raise enough to pay um, for half of the manufacturing costs of the yarn. And we actually raised enough to pay for all of it. (laughs) Um, 
But yes, I figured if we could raise half of it, we could sort of stretch our funding for the other half of it and make it work. Okay. Yeah. And but you said like it, it, you know if it doesn't go well, you will just we're fine with uh refunding everybody. And is that the case? I mean, that's what I that's what I told myself in the head. That's what you my told head yourself. when when you're afraid of failing, you have to tell yourself, well, I mean, I'm not going to take people's money, so if it doesn't work out, we will refund. But you know, on the already at the end of the first day of pre-orders, I knew that we wouldn't have to do that because of the way people turned out for us. So that was oh. so exciting. Yeah. Now, have you now that you you've done this more than once, is there anything you do differently now versus the first time? Yes. So, um we are trying to make the wait time that customers have to wait quite a bit shorter by starting later on in the process. So um, when we launch our pre-orders this summer, we expect to be able to deliver within a month or two. And that's because the yarn will be mostly completed in manufacturing by then. Um, so that's one of the things we've learned. We've learned a lot about supply chains. We have a pretty complicated supply chain from farmer to different spinners to dyeing to to winding and we've we have built you know strong partnerships along the way with each of those and we have a much better ability to guess how long those will take so that's one of the things the other thing we do now is we weave more projects with the yarn to show photographs in advance of how it can be used so people have a better sense of it right if you show them showing them the raw materials is one thing showing them the outcome like this is what you could do whoa that's the thing that really gets people excited yes yeah you know don't show me a can of paint show me the finished painted room oh wow this looks really cool you've talked a lot about manufacturing where are these manufacturers located may i ask mostly in north carolina um, the the ones we work with domestically, we also work with a mill in Peru on an alpaca yarn. But domestically, we're working with a mill in North Carolina, dye house in North Carolina. Organic cotton is grown in West Texas. Um, wool is coming from out west on ranches out west. But yeah, mostly the textile manufacturing industry that's left here is in North and South Carolina. So it sounds like your entire supply chain is U.S. based. For most of our lines of yarn, yes. Yeah, I mean, other than the alpacas. Is that difficult? I mean, it's, it feels like manufacturing in the U.S. can be extremely difficult. Well, so we're, we work with, it's, it's certainly hard for our partners to make it all work. You know, they're, they're the ones running the mills. So I, I, don't, I don't presume to know how to run a textile mill. And, and I know that it's, it's hard for them to make it work. Um, but I mean, honestly, no, like you, to make a cotton yarn, there's a lot of people growing cotton in the U.S. There's people spinning cotton in the U.S. There's people dyeing cotton in the U.S. You can you can make yarn in the U.S. Um, so I think other products can be more complicated, perhaps electronics, other things that I don't know as much about manufacturing. But textile products are definitely possible to manufacture here. And I encourage people to try. So certainly it depends on on what you're making. But until you try, you really don't know. Yeah. I mean, you have to call up a lot of places, and but that's also true if you're sourcing internationally. You know, you have to build relationships. People have to believe that your company is going to grow um, and that their investment of time in you is going to come back to them in future orders. Do you have any other advice for people who are talking to manufacturers for the first time? Because that's an intimidating thing. Yeah, so I actually spent a, a little bit of time helping to get a sewing factory started before I started this company. So I worked on the manufacturing side before I was working on this side. 
And I would, so I have plenty of advice for how to approach sewing manufacturers, at least. A big thing is to really know what you want already and to know that the the manufacturer is, is really busy and you're the one that's trying to capture their attention and interest and time. Um, and the way that you can do that is by understanding the manufacturing process as well as you can, understanding where you're getting your materials from, um, being respectful of their time and... Yeah, really. I, w I mean, going into something and like trying to negotiate heavily on price before you already even have a relationship, trying to negotiate heavily on turn time before you have a relationship is a good way to not have people excited to work with you. Um. <laughs> I like the way you frame that. You said, look, they're busy trying to manufacture. You're the one interrupting them with your request. So you have to approach it carefully. How do you pitch yourself to make... So that you look attractive to a manufacturer who's no idea who you are. I think, you know, give people a picture of your business. Tell them where it is and where it's headed. Be real. Like, don't pretend that you're going to send them a million dollars in purchase orders in the first year if you're not. Um, and understand what what they're working on and what their challenges are. And try to figure out um, where there's places to work together. But in no, general, I found, I mean, there's a lot of sewing factories in the U.S. that are, are wonderful with new and up-and-coming brands and designers. There are textile mills that are excited to be working with companies like ours. So people can definitely find them. And honestly, if there's people in textiles that are looking for sourcing advice, I'm happy for them to email me. And if I can help out, I will. When you started this business, was it just you? Um, I, yes, I'm the, I'm the only owner of the company and I was doing it all by myself for a little bit, but we hired people as soon as I hired people as soon as I was able to. And now this business is very much what it is because of who our team is and what they put into the company. You said as soon as we were able to, that's a struggle. A lot of people don't know when they're able to hire. They don't know how to hire. Hires much like working with a manufacturer for the first time. Hiring for the first time is very intimidating. So talk to me about how... Your, your mindset, how you knew, give me any advice. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest piece of advice is really like as soon as you can to hire and to hire people that have different experience than you and think about things differently so that they complement what you're working on. Um, but I was lucky to be able to start slower. Like we started... Um, with two people, Emma and LaShawn, part-time. They each were working on um, pretty distinct roles. And then we were able to scale up those roles with more hours and more responsibilities as more sales came into the company. And then um, the same as we continued to add on new people. Yeah, it's always a little scary. It's hard to trust that the sales are going to continue coming and that you can have more and more people on your payroll. Um, but there's really no way to build a company without a team of great people. So you just got to do what it. What was the, the first thing you tried to hire out? Um, we ha I hired for around content and community. So I hired LaShawn to work on our podcast and Emma to work with designers on um, using our yarn and creating patterns. So it was really about building community as early on as we were able to hire, that's what it was. And then we added on some operational pieces later on. So I wasn't the only one shipping. Um, yeah, those were the first two hires, but. It's interesting. Yeah. You said 
from the beginning, you, you made it clear community was very important to the success of your business. And here later, you know, 30 minutes later, I'm asking, oh, well, what's the, what'd you hire out first? And the first two hires directly related to community building. So real, like truly you put your money where your mouth is I on think, that investment in community. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good for business, honestly. I think people want to be part of something that is a community that's growing and flourishing and especially in our niche in, in something related to, to crafts and hobbies. It's so important. So we continue to make big investments in that. In your online store, what are, what are a couple of your favorite apps? What save you, what saves your bacon? What are you, what, what are the apps that you're like, look, these are the two that got to stay. Page speed be damned. <laughs> um, I don't know. We have too many apps as per usual. Let's see. We use um, the Boost. I think it's called Boost Filter and Search. And oh, I that, love that thing. Yeah, that filtering app is really great. It helps our customers sort through our many patterns. So I love that app. And the Search app is also way better than out-of-the-box Shopify Search. And I don't know if Clavio counts as an app, but that's our best piece of technology other than Shopify. <laughs> it's kind of, it's an interesting thing when you're so big, people are like, does it count as an app? <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, especially like with community, Clavio is really important. And yeah. with a, a catalog like yours, um, product filter and search is extremely helpful. But yeah, that, that booster app, once I found that, I just, I keep using it. It's really wonderful. It really is. Sidebar. And if you have any issues, their support's really good. Yeah. I swear to God, they didn't pay me to plug them like that. That's No, I agree. Genuine their experience. support is amazing. They like fix things in our code that aren't even necessarily related to them. They're wonderful. Go go check them out. <laughs> What's uh, I will put uh, a link in the show notes, okay. uh, but it, it's Booster Product Filter and Search. Um, so you sell a lot of yarn in a lot of colors. You have even developed your own colors. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite color? Oh, you You're can't the one ask person someone. who I could say, what's your favorite color? Oh, I don't know. No? I can't. Let's Nothing? see. Right now, I'm loving this turquoise blue wool yarn that we're about to release. But yeah, that's like asking someone who their favorite baby is. <laughs> you can't oh, well, ask a waiver who their favorite color is. <laughs> I know which is my favorite child. <laughs> yes. It's our, our rabbit. Oh, our, there my you favorite go. Child. <laughs> that's occasionally one of them will be like, which, uh, which one of us is your favorite? I say the rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> that works. That's the, the safe answer. What, uh, in your journey, what's something unexpected about, well, what's something you recommend every merchant try at least once? I mean, I, I recommend trying to source something closer to home if you can, whether that means sourcing in the US or whether that means sourcing in your state or in your city. I think building relationships with people that are creating goods closer to home um, can help you learn a lot about what you're making and form new connections and sell more products, make more money. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to running an online store, what's something you hate but wish you loved? Um, coding, <laughs> development. <laughs> I think I have like just enough CSS and other sorts of coding skills to be able to make some minor changes but not make big issues, not solve big things and kind of wish I had the built-in knowledge to have more. Well, I, I think you're in a, a better position than you realize because it sounds like you know enough to be dangerous. Like if you know HTML, a little bit of CSS and liquid, like mm -hmm. Shopify specific, 
uh, then you're off to, you're in a pretty good place where like there's a lot of just like day-to-day administrative stuff that you could tackle yourself. How did you pick it up? Um, self-taught. <laughs> Googling around and looking at things. I don't I don't know all that much, but, you know, but trying things out. I mean, there's tons of tutorials on the Internet, so but I don't know too much. I mean, we also work with developers. Yeah, I mean, so you have to. Um, anything I missed? Anything I, I should have asked? I mean, I think what I was just excited to come on and talk about was was pre-orders and and really the way that that can impact cash flow it's not something that i had thought about a whole lot the cash issues that a growing inventory based business would have until i was in the middle of it and then i think yeah i just encourage people to think about it in a big way to think about whether your customers will be up for it even if it's something that's like seven or eight months down the line i think it can really help and it can help keep financial control of your business as opposed to um with investors or banks so i encourage people to try that out I am I'm on board with that idea. And like for me, uh, one of my my core values in everything is, is maintaining independence. And so if if you think similarly, then you want to bootstrap everything. But that could be limiting and it could be difficult. Like you're, you're constraining yourself a little bit there. Um, and so pre-orders, especially when combined with a strong community, are just such a great way to to work around it and be able to raise that capital through your customers uh, without having to to give up ownership or incur debt, so I I love the approach. I think it's a, a great a great tool uh, for e commerce entrepreneurs to have. Yeah, and every time you know I'm still nervous about the the two ones we have coming up. Will people like it? Will they support it? But um, it gets a little bit easier each time as we are able to depend more on what our customers will support. Yeah. No, absolutely. So where could people go to learn more about you? Our website is gistyarn.com, like the gist of it, G-I-S-T-Y-A-R-N.com. Um, you can find us on Instagram. You can listen to our podcast, which is called Weave. And I really do mean that if, if people have textile sourcing questions, I will be happy to help if I can. And my email address is Sarah with an H at gistyarn.com. All right. And I won't include that in the show notes. Uh, so you don't get spammed, but okay. Sarah at justyarn.com. <laughs> thank you. Uh, wonderful. I, this was fantastic. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. When people ask in my Facebook group what theme they should use, I always see people recommend Flex. Why? Because it's the Swiss Army knife of Shopify themes. It comes with everything you need right out of the sandbox. Flex is truly one of the most flexible themes in the market. It's got customizable CSS within the theme editor to give you more creative control without breaking your theme's code. And it comes packed with 10 mega menu navs with six columns each. Whew, that's a lot of stuff. And to make it even sweeter, Out of the Sandbox has been in the e-com game for over a decade, providing some of the best customer experience in the industry. Head over to outofthesandbox.com unofficial to get started on your dream store today. The link's in the show notes. And don't forget to use the discount code KURT20, that's K-U-R-T-2-0, for 20% off your theme purchase. And with their 14-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. 
and thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at ethercycle.com. Thanks for listening.